The province of Quebec is the last of the original four Canadian provinces that we are covering in the Great Weird North season. The largest in area of all the provinces and second largest in terms of population, Quebec joined with Ontario, Nova Scotia, and New Brunswick to start our great nation on July 1, 1867. Originally called New France, the land it now occupies was coveted by France and England in the early days of colonialism in North America. Its history was shaped by wars, treaties, more struggles, the fur trade, the Hudson's Bay Company, periods of strong nationalism, and periods of Canadian pride. While the most obvious indicator of its unique culture is its French language, there's so much more to it than that. Quebecers have a rich culture outside of their language. The folktales passed down from Le Voyageur alone are enough to explore. Perhaps we should look to the province's motto to understand, Je me souviens, literally translated as I will remember. This motto on license plates, art, and buildings throughout the province serve to let all Quebecers know that their language and cultural heritage is important and it should be celebrated. There has also been political tensions between Quebec and English-speaking Canada. I know this. The government of my own province was a key spark that at least helped to ignite the flames of one of the referendums to determine whether Quebec would secede from Canada. But here at the Some Weird Podcast, we follow one of the Cardinal Legion rules, no politics. We leave that to the politicians and the so-called experts on Facebook. We're here because we love the strange and unusual. Disclaimer, we, like many Anglophones, are grand hands at reading the French on the backs of cereal boxes. We are by no means bilingual. I hope you can forgive our subpar pronunciations of the French in this episode as we dive into these stories from Quebec. Guaranteed to be some weird. Bonjour et bienvenue dans l'autre épisode de Podcast et Trains. Je vais votre co-animator, Barry. Um. <laughs> yeah, apparently, co-host is co-animator. Not sure if that's proper. That's a Google Translate test. And I'm your co-host, Chrissy. <laughs> and pour cette épisode, nous allons parler de la province de Québec. Are you going to do French the whole time? No, that's all the French I'm going to do. Okay. You're, you ever like you put something in Google Translate, you'll translate it, and you translate it back, and you translate it back again, and it's like nothing like it, the original material? I guess Google Translate is like its own game of broken telephone. Yeah. Do you remember back, I think it was in the 80s, one of the slogans for Pepsi was Pepsi, the choice of a new generation? Yeah, yeah, of course. So in Japan, that translated to Pepsi, bring your ancestors back to life. <laughs> That's good marketing. But English to French and French to English is not too, too bad. And you know no. what? In English Canada, we do tend to use some French words like serviette. Yep. Instead of napkin, yeah. yeah that's a good one. Before we get into any stories, we, we seem to have always started with some interesting facts. And you mentioned Pepsi. One of the few places in the world where Pepsi outsells Coke is in Quebec. Oh, another place got to be Newfoundland. Oh, another place is Newfoundland for sure, yeah. But Pepsi outsells Coke two to one. Is that right? I know in Newfoundland, it's, it's because Coke used to have a, a, a facility here that, that produced it, but they, uh, they closed down, so it was all shipped in, whereas uh, Pepsi is made locally. So I think that's what started it here. I'm not sure what the reason is in Quebec. Interesting that Quebec and Newfoundland would be the two. I think there's a lot more similarities between Quebec and Newfoundland than differences. Yeah, like I said, they are distinct from the rest of Canada for different reasons, but uh, I would think the two most culturally distinct provinces would be Newfoundland and Quebec, my opinion. Same. I don't know if this is a good segue or not, but another thing that's similar between Quebec and Newfoundland, in Canada, there's only two provinces that have universities that offer full degrees in folklore, Memorial in St. John's and Laval in Quebec. So you can do folklore courses and probably get bachelor's degrees in other Canadian universities in folklore. I'm looking at you, Cape Breton. I know you're one of them. Don't <laughs> don't be writing into me. But uh, to go all the way up through to the PhD level, only Quebec and Newfoundland offer those programs. Is that right? 
The Mun Folklore Archives are huge, world-renowned. Same with Laval. They have this huge folklore archive of uh, French-Canadian folklore. Cool. Another thing about Quebec. Some people say this is Canada's dish, but poutine was first popularized in Quebec. And it's actually the side of choice at most restaurants. So you go to McDonald's, you get like a Big Mac combo. Poutine would be the standard side you'd be getting instead of just fries. Now, I love poutine, but I don't yeah. think you do because you don't like gravy. I don't like gravy, so I'm not a poutine person at all. No. Oh, wait. Explain what poutine is. Poutine is basically French fries with cheese curds on it and gravy over the top. It is poutine. A couple famous people from Quebec. Who would you have to start with? It's got to be the Shatner. Got to be Shatner. Yeah. Is William it? Shatner. Is he number one? He is number one in my opinion. There's a million famous people from Quebec and, and things and all that. So I certainly didn't write down everybody. But I wrote down a couple that were special to me. And certainly number one would be Mr. William Shatner. Captain Kirk himself. Yeah, okay. Uh, who else? We got George St. Pierre. Do you know who George St. Pierre is? He's a fighting person. Yeah, he's, a, he's an MMA fighter. He's probably pound for pound the greatest MMA fighter of all time. Okay. Uh, we probably got the most famous singer from Montreal. Who do you think that would be? From Montreal? Or from Quebec. Ladies and gentlemen, Celine! <laughs> now, lover or hater, you cannot deny the voice. Oh, she the, she has a, a great uh, a great voice. One of, the, one of the greatest talents of all time. She did a song, a Jim Steinman song. And Jim Steinman's the guy that did uh, all the meatloaf songs. Mm-hmm. Remember that one? There were nights when the wind was so cold. Oh, that yeah. That's, oh, that's definitely a meatloaf-esque song. Yeah. If you touch me like this. And if you do me like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you say if you do me like that? Yeah, if you do me like that. It's the R-rated <laughs> version. That's right. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a bit of a meatloaf fan, so he actually wanted to do that song on Bad Out of Hell three, and he he did end up doing it. But uh, Jim Steinman gave it to uh, Celine Dion first, and he was all upset about it. He was going to put it on the Bad Out of Hell two album first, mm-hmm. but he thought I'd do anything for love was was epic enough for that album. They wanted two super epic songs, so he was going to do that on the next one. He'd only have two songs on every album, <laughs> like twenty five <laughs> minutes long each. Twenty five minute songs with motorcycles and revving up and making out with chicks. <laughs> all right so we also got mario lemieux one of the greatest hockey players of all time i personally think gretzky was the best but lemieux was definitely right up there with gretzky the word lemieux translates to the best oh is that right when you got a name like that i guess you really got to live up to it yeah and again i can never move on without talking a little bit of wrestling so there's been a lot of famous wrestlers from quebec and uh, i know the wwf and vince mcmahon held quebec in high regard it was always a territory or an area that uh, wrestling was very popular and a couple of big wrestlers from there, the Rougeau brothers. Do you know the Rougeau brothers? No. They're the, the All-American boys. They're from Montreal, but then they, they said they were from Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah, that was a joke, right? We're All-American boys. No. Oh. Anyway, one of them was uh, Jacques Rougeau. He ended up becoming the Mountie. Do you remember him? Um, Vaguely. Did he wear the Mountie garb, like the red dress? It came a big deal, and the RCMP got involved and said, you know what, you, you can't be doing this. We, we own the copyright. This is copyright material. They had to. Yeah. He'd be like, I'm the Mountie. And he'd be like, he had this like caliprod shock stick with him. And as he beat his opponent, he'd take him and he'd shock him. No. <laughs> no wonder why the Mounties got involved and said, listen, you're going to have to back off. The other thing I want to talk about was the border dispute between Newfoundland and Quebec. Did you know that the Labrador-Quebec border has never been officially defined in the, in the eyes of Quebec? No. Yeah. So, um... Basically, in 1809, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but uh, Lower Canada gave the territory of Labrador to the colony of Newfoundland. Okay. Who 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 did it? Lower Canada or Upper Canada. Oh, Lower like, Canada. Uh, yeah. I thought you said Lord Canada. I'm like, I didn't know that was a person. <laughs> <laughs> Lord Canada of Ottawa. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, so uh, it was, whatever reason, that territory was given to Newfoundland, to Newfoundland okay. uh, from, from Canada or whatever. It was all British at the time, all part of British colonies. Yep. And Newfoundland was given was given the rights to Labrador. Mm-hmm. And in 1902, a dispute arose when Quebec government protested Newfoundland harvesting timber around Churchill River because they yeah. believed that Churchill River was part of it. The border between these two provinces is actually 3,500 kilometers. It's the longest border of any part of Canada. Uh, in hmm. 1927, they had a dispute about it, and there was a trial, and it was determined, they determined what the border was. But again, Quebec never agreed to it. Hmm. And even as late as 2001, Quebec has said that they don't agree with the, the border line that was drawn up. And 
when Newfoundland jo- joined Confederation in 1949, they had to put in the Constitution Act that, that uh, this here is the official border that we're going to recognize for Labrador. I don't know if I've ever seen what Quebec's version of what Quebec would be ver- without Labrador. I'm not really sure. Right. I wonder. So that's everything I got about Quebec. I don't know if you had any, any interesting facts. A few things, actually. So one, which will feed into my story when I get into it, is Quebec is, among all the provinces in Canada, Quebec is kind of unique in that it's overwhelmingly Roman Catholic. Like okay. almost, almost. Uh, I know you mentioned that um, Montreal has a large Jewish population. Uh, I think that is true. I believe I've I heard that, and, and it's also probably the largest French city outside of uh, France. Yeah, I've heard that too, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's overwhelming, overwhelmingly Roman Catholic. And the reason for that is back when it was a, a colony of France, and it was called New France, the, the king said, when you go to settle in New France, you have to be a Catholic. No Protestants allowed. And then the final thing that I wanted to sort of mention here, which leads into a smaller story that I have, is one of the things that Canada as a country is known for, and in fact, it's right there on our flag, is is the maple leaf and the maple syrup from the maple tree. Yep. Quebec, the, the, the province of Quebec alone, not the country of Canada, the province of Quebec produces more maple syrup than anywhere on earth. And in fact, it has in, you know, over time or over its history at one point produced 78% of the entire world's stock of maple syrup 78 percent yes of so all so today it's a the number is about 71 percent so if you're getting maple syrup anywhere on earth it's it's a very very high chance that it comes from quebec and i'm going to tell you a quick little story here about the great maple syrup heist quebec produces most of the maple syrup on earth But the maple syrup production is very, very heavily regulated by the Federation of Quebec Maple Syrup Producers, FPAQ, or FPAQ. Marketing board type thing? It's not necessarily a marketing board. So what was happening was maple syrup, it's a a natural resource, right? So Mm -hmm. year to year, you could have kind of a good crop or a bad crop. So people were, you know, they were losing money some years and and having more uh, than they could sell other years. So the price of maple syrup globally was very unstable. The a bunch of the I don't know, I don't I don't think they're called farmers, but maple syrup producers, I guess. They got together and they created this uh, federation of uh, maple syrup producers. And what they do is they regulate the price of syrup by stockpiling surplus. Okay. I know, like I don't know how like economies work and everything like that, but at a high level, basically it goes like this: in order to stabilize the price of the syrup in good years, so you have more more sap or more syrup than you can sell, right, without messing up the price, you put the excess into a reserve. So they have this giant warehouse with like thousands of barrels of oh. maple syrup in reserve, and then in a ba- if there's a bad year, you don't get enough you know, to sell, you'll take it out of the reserve. So your, okay. your price remains the same. Like the Fort Knox of, of uh, maple syrup. Well, you know what? It's, they, uh, there's actually a Netflix docu- uh, documentary series called Dirty Money, and they yep. did an episode of the Quebec maple syrup heist, and uh, they compared Quebec and maple syrup to Saudi Arabia and oil. Okay. So it's just that sort of same kind of a thing. A lot of the producers of maple syrup don't really like this. They don't like this federation sort of holding on to all the syrup yep. for, you know, you let me know when I'm allowed to sell it. They want it to be a free free and open market. Yeah. Uh, and then other some producers are like, no, we need to do it this way so we can stabilize the price and, you know, not be homeless one year and like rolling in syrup the next year, you know. So there is a huge uh, disagreement among some of the uh, maple syrup producers. Between uh, 2011 and 2012, about 3,000 barrels from the maple syrup reserve was stolen from the stockpile of reserves. What happened was they think it was an inside job. They got into the warehouse where they have all these, you should say, it's crazy. They have like tons and tons of barrels of syrup all piled up in there. And they were siphoning off the maple syrup and filling the barrels up with water. And then putting them back, you know, in place. Kind of as time went on, they got a little bit bolder and they just didn't bother to, you know, replace it with water. They just left these empty barrels there. The whole warehouse where the surplus is, it gets inspected once a year by the Federation inspector. Like it's a, it's a whole thing. 
the national, uh, sorry, the Quebec Federation inspector will inspect the warehouse once a year, and they noticed yep. that some of the barrels were rusting on the bottom, and maple syrup does not sweat, so it would never yep. make rust. And the barrels themselves, they have a very specific bluish white color, like it's uh, like a trademark kind of a color, and and the sticker on there that says Quebec uh, Maple Syrup Federation sticker is on there, so it's like very very official. So they're like that something is is wrong with these barrels and they also have specialized forklifts so when they lift the barrels you know put them in place and take them down or whatever they kind of like hold it by the rims like these claws kind of hold it by the rims of the barrel so there's never any marks on the side you know like a normal forklift would pinch and then they found some barrels had these like marks on the side which were very obvious against these like really light pale almost they're almost white barrels they looked in some of the barrels and realized that hey, this is someone replace it with water. So this became a major crime scene. 250 law enforcement personnel were brought in. <laughs> they brought Grissom in. You got all kinds of camera angles from the can's point of view. <laughs> and they solved it within 22 minutes. Um, <laughs> no, they got like all these like the police, like it was a major, major thing. And, and like, it's kind of funny. It's like, this is stuff you put on your pancakes. But maple syrup, barrel for barrel, is far more valuable than oil. The amount of syrup that was stolen to be sold on the black market was worth about $30 million. Wow. Yes. A barrel of maple syrup is insanely valuable. Wow. They finally figured out who it was. Like this, I'm not getting into all the nitty gritty details of this, but they found out who it was. They were basically people that were maple syrup guys and they were against the Federation because they wanted a free market. Plus a dude in New Brunswick who weren't under the laws of the uh, Quebec maple syrup producers. So they all had this like network of black market syrup and syrup providers. The perpetrators were caught. They went to prison and for various sentences, they were fined up to the the, the guy who had the biggest fine was $9.4 million in fines for wow. stealing the maple syrup. $9.4 million? Well, he stole $30 million worth, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was hit, like that was his part of it, so. Plus he went to jail. I think his jail term was eight years. He stole some syrup. Like this is syrup. Yeah. It's It's food. Like it's. You know, but that was one of the things the lawyers were saying on this show that I was watching. It's like, how can you track the maple syrup? Like, it's not like you're going to find it or like it's marked bills, like someone stole the yeah. bank and you can find it with syrup. You eat it. Yeah. You know, and it's consumed. Yeah. They take the feces. <laughs> Grissom would get the feces analysis, send it to the, to the lab. <laughs> yeah. But that's how they found out. They, they're like rusty barrels. This is crazy. 30 million bucks with a maple syrup. So eventually, what, what, if they weren't going to cut someone, with a, they would have cracked one of these maple uh, barrels or whatever to, to bottle some product, and it would have been just water. They would have eventually found out. So if they, they might have been better off not putting anything in the barrels because yeah. the rust is what tipped them off first. And it's not like, it's not like a Costco-sized warehouse. Like, this is a giant warehouse with thousands of barrels. I don't know when you would get to the last barrel of maple syrup. Well, it's like anything, like when something's a valuable commodity and and people are trying to control the the price of said commodity, there's going Mm -hmm. to be crimes to people don't think is right. I mean, that's a common thing, whether it's maple syrup, oil, Mm -hmm. whatever. When when I heard about this story, it was kind of like, oh, it's... What it's like funny because it's maple syrup in Canada or whatever, but it was high stakes. Like that's yeah. a lot of money. Yeah. Do you like maple syrup? No. No, I prefer <laughs> a pretty enchilada myself. To I, maple syrup. I do. Yeah, I I did have to think about that for a second because you know, is it is it almost like anti-Canadian to not like maple syrup? I don't hate it, but yeah. it's it's never my choice for for my for my flapjacks. No, it's not. Enchilada. What is that? Pancake sauce. (laughs) I don't know what it's made out of. Probably corn syrup, I would think. corn syrup? Okay. You know, as a a Newfoundlander, we prefer molasses to put on our towns. Yeah, that's (laughs) right. It's not a maple syrup kind of a province, but, uh, you know, people love maple syrup. So that's it. That's the the great maple syrup heist. You know, there's a lot more details in there than that, but that's the gist of it. 30 million bucks in in pancake sauce. Yeah. What what else is it used for besides pancakes in it? Waffles. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
I'm going to speak about a pretty famous murder that happened in Montreal in a place called Griffintown in the 19th century. So Griffintown was a area that was settled by a high Irish population in Montreal. And I didn't know there was a very high percentage or a big population of Irish people in Montreal, but I guess in any big city, a big city like Montreal, there must be, even though, you know, it's predominantly, actually not even predominantly French, but famous for being French, I'm sure there's still pockets of, of, of various different uh, ethnicities there, right? I think Montreal is unique in Quebec in that it's not solely French. It's, yeah. uh, you can go to Montreal easily and everyone there is going to be able to speak both languages. Yeah. And again, as I guess the most big cities, there's melting pot where there's a lot of different mm-hmm. cultures and they all kind of settle in different areas. So this specific murder happened in Griffintown, which was a highly, uh, a big Irish population in this area. Mm-hmm. So this happened in the, in the 1870s, 1879 to be exact. Griffintown was uh, an area that was filled with warehouses and taverns populated by families, laborers, and it was an area frequented by the world's oldest profession, hulas. Mary Gallagher was a person that frequented this area. She was a prostitute. Uh, she was actually an older prostitute. She, uh, some stories say she was 38. Some say she was 60. Oh, God. <laughs> so it's a big she difference. Looked, she looked old, but uh, some, yeah, some people she probably she was had a old. haggard old life. Yeah, probably. But anyway, she was a, an older, uh, older prostitute, and she was also a bit of a drunk. <laughs> okay. Around 6 or 7 a.m., on June 29, 1879, Mary Gallagher, along with a client named Michael Flanagan, this is a very Irish name, I think, mm-hmm. uh, arrived at the home of Susan Kennedy. And Susan was Mary's best friend. Um, and also at this house was uh, Susan's husband, Jacob Mayers. Both Michael and Mary were drinking, and but she did not appear drunk. So it looks like that, I guess, Mary brought one of her clients to her friend's house at 6 in the morning while drinking. It seems like a good a good idea, right? Okay. They seem like a hard crowd, but okay. Yeah, definitely. I'm not judging. Some... Yeah, I'm not kink shaming the prostitutes of the Victorian Montreal. Yeah, yeah. Drinking at six o'clock in the morning. Sorry. Um from all accounts that uh, both Mike Mary and, and Michael were drinking, but they didn't appear drunk. Mm-hmm. Mary frequented her friend uh, Susan at this location very often, but she very rarely brought any of her clients to this house. So the fact okay. that she brought one of her clients made uh Susan's husband, Jacob, very upset, kind of furious. So he just got up and left. He said, you know, I, I'm not staying here while you bring your hua friends, uh, their horror clients over here. So I, I'm not staying. So he kind of took off. Okay. So Susan, however, saw this was an opportunity to go party. So she went out to procure a bottle of whiskey. At so 7 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. I, I guess in the 1870s, it was much easier to go buy whiskey at 7 in the morning than it probably is now. Or maybe it's not that. I'm not sure what time the liquor store is open. I don't think they open that early, though. I don't know. I'm not sure. I've never been in a position where seven in the morning I need the bottle of whiskey. You definitely won't be able to buy it now because everything is on lockdown. Yeah. Well, you can't. You have to do curbside pickup. There you the go. Liquor store is still open. Susan found a bottle of whiskey wherever wherever you buy whiskey to at that time in the morning in, in 1870s Montreal, and three of them sat down and polished off most of the bottle. So at this point, apparently Susan and Mary were pretty seasoned drinkers, but this Michael guy was a bit of a lightweight compared to them. So he, okay. he began to feel super drunk. So he decided he was going to go lie down. Susan goes in to check on him, lies down, starts talking to him. At this point, her husband comes home and sees Susan lying down with the drunk. And he gets quite upset again. So, you know, at first, you, your friend Mary brings this guy over to your house. You go drinking. Now you're in the bed with him. Mm. She's like, uh, go on with you. I'm just talking. So he gets furious. I'm and he just leaves talking. <laughs> <laughs> and according to the story, that's that's all they did. There was no, there's no inference that there was anything more than that, right? Okay. So anyway, uh, Buddy gets furious, he leaves again, okay? Mm-hmm. The general consensus amongst the, the the population of this town or this area was that uh, Jacob was a pretty stand-up guy, a good guy and all that, where his wife, Susan, was a bit of a drunk and she was well-known to the police. Was Susan a prostitute as well or just a friend of a prostitute? It was a friend of a prostitute. Okay. Uh, she might have been a prostitute as well, but it, it didn't explicitly say that in the story, but she could have been. Okay. But either way, she was a hard case, known to the police, big drinker. Okay. Hangs around with, with who was. So. <laughs> Jacob left, and Michael signs he wakes up again, and they decide they're all going to go drinking again. So they go polish off the, the rest of the bottle of whiskey. So at this point, all the whiskey's gone. Michael passes out on the floor. So mm-hmm. he got up again after lying down, not feeling good, got some more booze, and ended up passing out. 
By all accounts at this time, the situation between the two women seemed fine when Michael passed out. So he testified afterwards that from what he could tell, both uh, Susan and Mary were getting along best kind at the time of his passing out of being blind drunk at uh, you know, 9, 10 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I'm sure he was a quite reliable witness at this point. Yeah. Again, they started drinking at 8 or 9 o'clock. I'm not sure what time he passed out, but he was asleep for a couple hours. But at 2 o'clock, he, Michael finally came to. Mm-hmm. So what do you think you do when you wake up at 2 o'clock after being passed out from being drunk three hours before? What was the first thing you'd want to do? Take a piss, I suppose. <laughs> Probably, but uh, he decided he wanted to go drink it some more. Oh, God, no, that wouldn't be... <laughs> I think that if you were waking up at 2 in the afternoon after being drunk all day, your first thought would be, I'm never drinking again. <laughs> yeah, but that, that was not this is Michael's case. So he woke oh, okay. up, he asked well, for I'm drink way of water. Off. He, he asked for a drink of water, and he said, let's go to a bar and get a beer. Mm-hmm. So Susan got him a bottle of water, and Michael said, "What he? We went into the other room. He saw Mary Gallagher lying face down on the floor, and he he described it as she was lying breast first. Breast. <laughs> was she wearing so, one of those super pointy bras? And she was just balancing <laughs> on her titties. Yeah, well, yeah, sorry, one of those uh, Madonna jobs. Madonna jobs, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So he said he didn't see any blood or any suspicion of foul play. So he quickly left to go get another drink at the bar." So that was his story. What? He saw her laying face down, breast down, and said, yeah, yeah, she's probably good. I'm going to the bar. She's good. She must have passed out, too, so I'm going to get more booze. So send her my way, too, because I never got my uh, my servicing. <laughs> okay. All right. So Susan's story was a little bit different. She said that her and Michael, when they were in the back room, lying down, Mary invited another person to come into Susan's home. So she said that she fell asleep, and she was awoken to Mary and the other man arguing. Okay. Her story is she's lying down sleeping with a, a man who's not her husband, passed out. Her friend uh, invites someone else into their house, and she goes, ah, I'll just go back to sleep. And uh, when she wakes back up a few hours later, the other man was gone, and Gallagher was dead, lying down, breast first. <laughs> the only thing they can agree, on, or agree upon was that she was breast first. She's lying on her breasts. Okay. Uh, she said she was going to call the police, but she was too weak. Uh, she was just so, I guess, afraid or saw her friend die, dead and all that. She just didn't know what to do. Okay. Uh, she said she saw Flanagan ran away when, when, when Flanagan woke up beside a body, he just took off, went to the bar. Mm-hmm. When Susan's husband, Jacob came home and saw the body, he went to report it to the police. So he came okay. home, saw a dead body. First of all, he, he was there. He saw her friend or wife's friend bring somebody over drinking at seven o'clock in the morning. He left, comes back, sees his wife in bed with, a, with another man. So he left and come back. Now he sees his wife, a dead person in his house. He's not having a good day. <laughs> if he left and came back again, what do you think he would have seen? <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's all burning down, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so uh, he, was, he wasn't he was having a good day. Another policeman was quoted in the newspaper afterwards with the whole story that Mary told him that the man came into her house on Friday and gave Susan money. Mary got jealous because of this and got into an argument with the man and the man ended up killing her. So that was another story that came out. So for whatever reason... Some other man gave Susan money. Mary wanted the money, and the man killed her. Doesn't, that story doesn't make a lot of sense, but that was no. another story that was floating around. Mm-hmm. The man, that man who did said, told Susan not to go to the police. He washed the blood off his hands and left. So that was another story that was floating around. So was there definitely another man there, though? I I don't think so. But that, oh, that was okay. just, I think that okay. was more of a trying of a, a story for Susan to try and. Uh yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking. It's like there's Mary who who's the victim. Susan, yeah. who's the friend who owns the house, yeah, the client, yeah, who took off for more booze, who took off for more booze, out. but for the most part, and then it was uh, the husband who left, yeah, and came, and back he and wasn't there at the time, so it was basically the three of them were there, yeah, exactly, and then Susan and the guy, the client, kind of said, yeah, yep. kind of said that there was probably another guy as well that yeah, came Susan in, said but that. I didn't see never say that. This was Susan okay. was saying. So she's, I get to, to me, it sounds like she's just come up with, with other kinds of stories. To, yes, to, yes. To call it what really happened. Yeah. Another guy came. He was about medium height and had brown hair. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. Brown. Yeah. So the policeman who, who responded to the scene said the body was lying stomach or breast first. He said stomach. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, he said it looks like the neck was hit several times with a blunt object and at some point it became completely severed from her body. The head was severed head, by a blunt object. Well, there looked like it was hit by a blunt object first, and then it got severed. He didn't know how it got severed at the time. Uh, 
He said the head was sitting in a wash tub and the color of her hair, her hair was actually gray, but the color was difficult to tell because of the amount of blood in it. And she saw several, and he saw several blow marks on the forehead. They then found a hatchet that belonged to Jacob Mears, who's the husband of Susan, in the apartment covered in blood, brain fragments, hair, and flesh. So, wait a second. Is this a different, did I miss, was her head missing? Her head was missing, yes. So when they saw the body at first, they're like, look, she's tits down, but they didn't notice that she didn't have a head? Yeah, they said that her feet was pointing to him, and they just, Michael just kind of took off when he saw her lying down and just, just took off. Oh, great, and because he's like, oh, she's probably fine, even if she's she got no head. She probably passed out, so I'm going to get her a drink. He, he didn't look for it. He just figured she was passed out and didn't have a good, good look. Wow. And for whatever reason, there wasn't much blood around, right? All right. I, I, that part was lost on me, that she didn't okay. have a head. Okay. So at this point, when they found the hatchet, uh, both Flanagan and Kennedy, so both uh, Susan and Michael Flanagan were arrested and tried for murder. Oh, okay. They figured that they did it, right? Yeah. So Susan Kennedy was found guilty. Okay. Okay, so a couple witnesses testified at the trial. So one witness testified that they heard Susan and Mary arguing while Michael was passed out. Mm -hmm. At some point, Kennedy hit Gallagher over the head with an axe, and she was heard by neighbors saying, I've wanted revenge for a long time, and now I'm going to have it. So, for whatever reason, there was some beef between the two of them. Mm, okay. I, I, I feel like the neighbors are trying to frame Susan now. By, by, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I have wanted to, to I have wanted to have revenge on you for a long time. Hack, hack. Uh, like, it doesn't seem normal. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway. Yeah. I think it was pretty obvious from the trial that she did it, not, not Michael, right? Okay. All right. So, she was sentenced to hang. So, she was supposed to be hung on December 5th. I'm not sure when the trial was, but she was sentenced to hang. Mm-hmm. So for whatever reason, her death got a stay of execution for whatever reason. She ended up serving 16 years in jail. She got released, and nobody knows whatever happened to her after that. She went off the grid. Okay. Well, it was it was Victorian times, so there wasn't any grid to start with. No, I guess. But anyway, she, she disappeared. Okay. So Flanagan was found not guilty, but in an extraordinary coincidence, he died on December 5th, on the same day that she was supposed to hang. Oh, wow. So he was working on a boat, doing whatever, and he lost his footing and fell into a water and just drowned. Oh, okay. So that's what happened to him. All right. Well, he was struck struck down. Maybe he was the perpetrator. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it was, a, it was a big karma job. That's right. So not long after the death, locals began seeing Mary's ghost around the residence at 242 William Street, which is where this, where Susan lived and where that thing happened, right? Okay. It was said that she was just there looking for her lost head. Sure, it was in the bathtub. <laughs> it actually became a pair. It actually became the story became very well known in Griffintown from all the, uh, uh, for, for whatever reason, I guess it became part of the local lore of the area, mm-hmm. and it ended up becoming a threat that parents would use for their kids. So they'd be like, "Eat your vegetables, or Mary Gallagher is going to come get you." <laughs> so. See, now if you were a saucy kid, you'd be like, "What's she going to do? She ain't got no head." <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was uh, that was against one of the locals of the area. Uh, Dennis Delaney was his name, or Denny Delaney, I should say, got to make it French, uh, claimed to see Mary's ghost three times, and he claims one time while walking down the street, the ghost appeared, pointed at a tree. He went to the tree, and he found a necklace in the branches. He pulled it out and turned around, and when he looked, the ghost was gone. Okay. And this this story is very famous. They say that for whatever reason, throughout the lore of it all, is that this ghost appears every every seven years to come back and look for her head. And the most recent appearance was in June 2019. Interesting so, that right? you would say seven years. Yeah. Why do you say seven years? I don't know. But that's, that's how the lore has become. And it's come to the point where every well, seven years she... I, I have a theory about it. That's why. Go ahead. Seven is a number that comes up again and again throughout okay. a lot of French folklore. Okay. And it comes up a lot of times through stories everywhere, like all kinds of folklore. And in my research in this, I kept seeing seven. And I, of course, went on a tangent and said, what's up yep. with the number seven, right? So uh, number seven is a significant number in the Catholic Church. Okay. And as we know, Quebec is... Seven deadly sins. Seven deadly sins. That's a very good example that I never thought of. But like Quebec is very... Catholic, Like, I don't even know. That's not a very good explanation, but it's very, a lot of its culture and its language and its folk tales, all that is is very much centered around the Catholic Church. Like you said, seven deadly sins. That's one thing that, you know, God created the earth in seven days is another thing that, that people say. And then if you if you even look back into, I want to say, medieval times, uh, people used to say that you're 
the cells of your body would replenish every seven years. If you break a mirror, you have seven years seven bad years luck. Like seven is a number that comes up again and again and again. So it's interesting that sh- that this Mary Gallagher uh, ghost would appear every seven years. Yeah. And the most recent one in, in 2019, they had a big thing on the street. It had like a, a big production of it where they reenacted the murder and all this kind of stuff. I don't know if they saw the ghost or not, but uh, it's become that type of thing where they do like a... Production okay. there in, in in the area, so mm-hmm. pretty famous story. So, if she last appeared in 2019, she's what due to come up in 2026. 2026, right when okay. we get out of this COVID mess. That's my story about uh, the headless hua. Do you think it was uh, Susan? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Why do you think she did it? I'd say they had a beef over something. I don't know. Maybe she was a, a prostitute or or they they, they weren't getting along and. Uh, I think and there was a rivalry there and yeah. alcohol amplifies stuff like that and, right and poor decision was made and decided to go and hack her head off that's what I think <laughs> I think it'd be very difficult to hack someone's head off yeah it's a lot of work and one of the things about this story that was interesting and she obviously must have cleaned up after herself which is kind of hard to do when you're drunk I guess but uh, there mm-hmm. wasn't a lot of blood on the scene except for in her head like it was in a wash tub they're trying to clean it off as best they could right mm. but if you cut someone's head off I, I'd, I'd like to think uh Leaders and leaders of blood would leak out into the floor, wouldn't it? Well, if I've learned anything from from watching Kill Bill, apparently he just spurts on out like a hose. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so you figure it would be all over. Yeah. They, they probably didn't have like the blood spatter experts and all that kind of stuff back then. Mm, true. You ready to talk about some beavers? Beavers. Let's talk about beavers and how it shaped the history of Quebec. I'm going to tell you about French-Canadian piece of folklore called the Lou Lugaru, we mentioned back in our season one episode of The Cryptids when yep. uh, we briefly touched on it when we talked about the Wendigo and the Lugaru being a French werewolf. Yep. Basically, Lugaru is French for werewolf, but I didn't know Obviously. that at the time. <laughs> so there's going to be some French words in here. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try my best. I'm not trying to make fun of French. I'm just, I'm trying my best. Okay. Let's talk about Quebec in the 1700s, shall we? Yes. When the countries of Europe were going around claiming other people's lands during the colonialism, they were only wanting to go to places where the natural resources were going to make their empires richer and more powerful. Makes sense. So, like, when Britain claimed Newfoundland, it did it because of the... Sire, the cod, enough to feed an empire. Did you just bless yourself? That's what he doesn't. That's what he doesn't hear. Oh, (laughs) I thought you were trying to, like, protect yourself from the curse of the Lugaru. No, no. They wanted Newfoundland for the fish. They wanted to take Quebec for the furs. Okay. Okay. So since the pelts, exactly. So uh, humans have used animal furs and leather for clothes and blankets and shoes and tents and everything else since caveman days. Since cavemen were riding around on dinosaurs. Yeah. (laughs) So and one especially desired fur was from is from a beaver. Believe it or not. (laughs) I can let that go. Yeah, just skip right on over that. Okay. Mm. So apparently beavers have a top coat. A wet top coat, yeah. Right. right? But under that is, is like a softer kind of fur, and it's called beaver wool, like a sheep. Be- okay. Be- That's wool. what it's called. So this beaver wool is really, really good for felting. Do you know what felting is? Felting? Yeah. No, yeah. I don't. All right. Well, okay. So, well, you know what felt is, you know, the yeah. stuff your son uses for her in school, right? Yeah. Beaver wool can be processed to make a material that's very much like the felt that you would buy in a, in a craft store. And that, in turn, was used for uh, making hats, like hats for your head. So, mm-hmm. And it was really, really uh, high desire for these beaver wool hats because the beaver fur was the best kind of fur to make the felt. And the felt was desired to make the hats. The hats at the time were getting bigger and fancier, especially in France. So mm-hmm. beavers were high demand. Okay. Okay. This is all, this is beaver talk. All this high desire. And it wasn't as much in England. It was, it was more in France than England. And this is kind of why you get the uh, French going to, to Quebec after these beaver pelts. Mm-hmm. The desire was so high that in Europe, uh, the beaver population started to get really low. Coincidentally, at this time, there was a bunch of European nations staking their claims over there in the New World, and New France was wall-to-wall beavers. Okay. <laughs> All right. Sounds like the, the breezeway on a Thursday night. Uh, well, 
<laughs> so this beaver quest eventually led to to the establishment of the Hudson's Bay Company in yep. 1670. Hudson's Bay Company is the oldest company in all of North America. Today, it's a bay. department store. It's the Bay. Yep. Yeah. You go to, uh, what's the name of that place downtown Toronto? Eaton? Eaton Center. Yeah. Eaton Center. That's probably one of the big hubs for the Hudson's Bay Company the, or the Bay, it's called. But I think every Canadian home had the Hudson's Bay Company blanket. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. If you look on the Hudson's Bay Company website today, that blanket it's the, it's iconic like it's it's as canadian as the beaver itself yep the twin size hudson's bay company blanket is 325 bucks now wow yeah it's it's a major a thing vintage piece yeah it's like it's iconic and it's been around forever and here's something that i didn't know the bay it's in canada of course and it also operates in us guess what it operates as in this country um target it, no, that's sacrilege. Target comes from Minnesota by. J.C. Penny. No, Saks Fifth Avenue. Really? Yeah, the fancy pants Saks Fifth Avenue is owned by Hudson's Bay Company. So here we are. France has all kinds of need for beaver pelt because they need some fancy ass hats. And here is New France, and they got all kinds of beavers ready to be taken. Okay. Yep. So the landmass of current day Quebec. Now the borders have changed of what's considered New France right over the years. And you had mm -hmm. alluded to the Labrador uh, Quebec border is still disputed probably today. If you look at the way that Quebec is now, the current the current borders of Quebec, it's about three times as big as France itself. Okay. Like Quebec is huge. It's a big province. I, is it the biggest landmass wise? It's the biggest province in Canada land, in, by, in by land. Yeah. None of it is a territory is bigger yeah. uh, by land, but of the provinces, Quebec is the biggest. And like I said, it's three times as big as its motherland, France. It's like my son is three times bigger than me. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So they have this need for beavers and here's New France with a whole pile of beavers, right? Unfortunately, the beavers, they don't come to you. Like they're not log rolling up to Montreal, say, here we are, <laughs> trap us. Yeah. You got to go up and get them. So let me introduce you to what were called the voyageurs, the voyagers, the travelers. So the voyageurs were usually young men, and they were employed in the fur trade, and their job was to travel from trading post to trading post by canoe and portage across hundreds or probably even like thousands of miles to collect these furs. And they'd chant as they'd walk along the land, their canoe, right? They actually did. They act, a lot of the songs that y I know you're thinking of in your head, the Jean Telemola, yeah. that one, that's the voyageur. Yeah. So the voyageurs, they, they're going into kind of like the bush <laughs> of Quebec. To get uh, the beavers in the bush, yeah. They weren't allowed to trade on their own. They worked for the company. And their adventures are like legendary in French-Canadian folklore. And a lot of their stories, like the one I'm going to tell you, The Legend of the Lougarou, can be kind of traced back to and attributed to Le Voyageur. Let's talk about kind of what they did. As I mentioned earlier in the episode, the King of France decided that only Catholics were allowed to settle in New France. Even today, Quebec is overwhelmingly Catholic, and much of its culture is directly linked to being Catholic. Even swearing in Quebec is all traced back to a Catholic church. Let's go through a couple of the Ca uh, the French-Canadian swears, shall we? I got three of them. Oh, the most popular one is Tabernac. Tabernac. Yeah. I don't know what it means. I don't it, I don't think it translates directly into like an English swear, but yeah. it, it's the tabernacle. It's the thing in the church where the, the communion is held, right? And apparently this is the most profane swear there is in, yeah. in Quebec. I remember one time I was uh, at work and I was talking to somebody and he was Francophone and he was trying to communicate me in English and he couldn't. He was like, I am uh, trying uh, to abernack. Because he, he couldn't, he couldn't get out. He couldn't <laughs> Did he get turn out into wanted. a lougarou in the middle? <laughs> he couldn't get out what he wanted to say to me. And he kept on trying it. I, I was like, I'm sorry. I don't really understand what you mean. He's like, tabernacle, tabernacle. And then he hung up the phone. So. <laughs> okay. But you knew what tabernacle was. Uh, I, I, I knew it was a swear word. I, I think if you say tabernacle toi, it means fuck you. Yeah. That's what I was taught. I've heard that before. Yeah. Another one is sacrament. 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 It's sacrament, right? Yeah. Sacrament. Uh, in in the church, but if you were to, you can kind of translate that into English as like "God damn it." Okay. Sacramento. And another one is Chris. Chris. 
C R I S, Chris, like my name. I'm a swear. Uh, I'm a I'm a okay. French swear basically. Nice. It's Christ. So okay. that's kind of a more mild swear, but it's no it's nice to know you're named after a swear. I'm named after a swear, yeah. It's probably pretty fitting. Even swearing in Quebec is all about the church. So if you meet somebody who speaks a language other than English, the first thing for me swear is words. I want to know the swears. Oh yeah, exactly. All right, so let's go back to old France and and the werewolf lore there. Of all the classic kind of movie monsters that we have, like vampires, werewolves, mummies, stuff like that, werewolves have a decidedly French flavor. While the stories of of people turning into wolves or other animals at the full moon didn't originate in France, there's a long history of stories uh, of werewolves in France. By the late Middle Ages, which is a Middle Ages are between the 5th and the 15th century. So by the 1400s, there's already a bunch of werewolf stories in France. And these early French tales are usually like upper class, like bougie men, and how they're turned into werewolves because some evil woman did something to turn them into a wolf. But uh, it's almost very similar to when you have in England and Scotland, the witch hunts around the same time. In France, you have these werewolf hunts. So between a little bit later than the Middle Ages, between 1520 and 1630, there's a werewolf kind of epidemic in France, and uh, about 30,000 people are accused of being werewolves. So mm-hmm. it's a whole whole big thing. Another story within France is the Beast of Gévaudin. That's my best French pronunciation. That was good. That was really good. And sounded okay. I don't know if I said it right or not. This is in 1764. There's a girl kind of tending her sheep and she's attacked by a creature. She describes it as like a wolf, but not exactly like a wolf. So she, and this is a true story. This is not a tale, but she te- she survives. Obviously she tells uh, the story. And then this beast has this reign of terror during this time where there's over 100 documented cases of people either being attacked by or killed by some creature, some they think a wolf or a werewolf. And the, the people that are uh, killed, they're at least partially eaten as well. It's widely believed that the beast was either a, a real just wolf, like a normal ass wolf, or a hyena, or some kind of a weird hybrid animal. The French people had this idea that it could have been a werewolf. Like that was definitely a possibility for them at that time. And the Beast of Gévaudin was allegedly killed by, at least what some people say, a silver bullet. And this is where uh-huh. the, the silver bullet thing comes from. Even Little Red Riding Hood, yeah. even though it's not really a werewolf, but there's a, obviously there's a wolf in there. The Big that, Bad Wolf. The Big Bad Wolf. That's originally a French tale. Is it really? Yeah. Petit Riding Hood de Rouge. I, I should have written down what it was translated to. Petit Rouge Le Hood. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't write down what it actually the original French was, but wolves are on the go in France. People are afraid yeah. of them. It's on the go for hundreds of years. They got all these stories about werewolves, including Little Red Riding Hood or Le Petit Rouge Hood, whatever. <laughs> in New France, right, let's go back to New France now. They bring the stories with them, but it morphs like all stories do. So now these werewolves are no longer just like upper class people being turned into wolves by some, you know, evil lady, right, to ruin their lives, their story turns into the Lugaru, which is a savage beast. And it's not, you don't turn into a Lugaru because some powerful woman turned you into it. You turn into a Lugaru because you have some alliance with or allegiance with the devil, which is, again, a very Catholic idea. Okay. These very Catholic and very French voyageurs are getting in their giant ass canoes and they're going all these miles into this great wilderness, this huge, huge place, three times the size of their homeland to go looking for some beaver pelts. So some <laughs> some fancy people can wear some awesome hats. <laughs> it's all about the hats. They, they're taking their food, their water, their supplies and their stories with them. Now, along their trade routes, the voyageur are they establish important relationships with the First Nations people. These are the people that have already lived here. They know the routes. They know the rivers. They know what to be afraid of. And they, the voyager forges really strong alliances with the First Nations people. They would not have been able to survive without them. And a lot of their culture intertwine. This is, you see a lot of parallels between the Lugaru and the, and the Wendigo. For that um, reason, yeah. For, for that reason. We talked about the Wendigo back in our first season, but a quick summary. It's a, it's a Native Canadian and, and Native American, it's, it's in both, uh, lore of a creature that kind of roams around 
and it's turned into it's a, used to be a person it's turned into a wendigo it's a cannibal it feeds on humans it's it's scary time and this is really similar to the french story of of the lougarou like the wendigo who turns into something else when it breaks the rules of its society so in the native canadian culture the wendigo breaks you know the rules by going into the woods by themselves and acting all weird and talking about being hungry you know, all these things they lead the, them into turning into a Wendigo. In the French-Canadian culture, the Lougarou happens because a person breaks the rules of its society. And in that case, it's they're breaking the rules of the Catholic Church. I was going to say, you say, God damn it, now, now I'm a Lougarou. Yeah, you say sacrament. Lord's name in vain, that's it. Lougarou time. Covet thy neighbor's wife, Lougarou. <laughs> Pretty much. Here, here are some of the very specific things that you could do that, that you know, you might become a, a Lougarou. And this is why the seven-year thing piqued my interest when you said it uh, in your Hoa story. So if you went seven years without going into a church and blessing yourself with the holy water, you could Uh become the Lugaru. Uh Oh, I'm in trouble. You're, you're, well, I mean. I don't think I've ever gone seven years without being in a church. Oh, I have. I think I'm on a 20-year streak now. (laughs) You got a double Lugaru. I'm going for the trouble. (laughs) That's why I'm growing a friggin' beard. It's not menopause. Goddamn, not going to church. It's my sacrament, not going to church. Yeah, I don't go very regularly. My son is six, and we got him baptized, so that was at least 60 years ago. Did he make a communion? Not yet. Oh, I can't. I see. I don't remember when. Four or something like that. I don't know. Would it be within seven years of his baptism? I'm just trying to figure out if you're going to become a Lugaru. No, it won't. No, yeah, it will be. It will be, yes. Okay. All right, we're safe from the Lugaru. Anyway, continue. If you didn't observe the Easter rites for seven years, uh, you could become a Lugaru. What's Easter rites? See, I don't know. I read that and I didn't know what it was either. I figured you would know. Stations of the Cross, the only thing I, I associate Easter with. Yeah, I, I honestly wouldn't be able to tell you. Something to do okay. with Easter. If you ate the earth part of the bunny before the ears, that's breaking <laughs> the Easter rites. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what they are. I, I, Easter is supposed to be the most holiest of holy things in the Catholic yeah. Church. Uh, I don't have a clue what the Easter rites are. Yeah, they don't make enough Hallmark movies about Easter. They don't. It's not. No. It's not the same as Christmas for some reason. Ma- the magic of Easter saved the, the big city man from his found a girlfriend in the small town. If you refuse to pay your tithe, which I did not realize was a Catholic thing, but apparently it is. It's like, what, 15% of your salary or 10% of your salary? Yeah, it's some percentage of whatever. So you, you have to give 15% of your beaver pelts <laughs> to, the, to the church, I suppose. Uh, I give enough of my tax to the government. I don't give half my money to the church. That's right. Well, there's nothing left for you, Dan. That's right. um, clearly, I don't know enough about my own religion. Um, okay. And then if you don't go to midnight mass on Christmas Eve, so you might get to be a Lugaru. Because all the other stuff, I'm like, okay, if you weren't like super Catholic and you weren't really into it, but you also didn't want to become a Lugaru, like just in case, you could go six years without going in the church. But once you get to the seventh one, you just walk on and then you're saved, right? For another seven yeah. years. You go six more years, right? Except for you, this, Christmas, yeah. the Christmas one really puts a monkey wrench into it because you got to Get, you know, you got to at least yeah. do it once a year. Yeah, it's impossible to get to seven years because if you don't do it once, you're, you're a Lugaru, so. If you don't or do it once. you don't always turn into a Lugaru, right? No, uh, you got to make the pact with the devil, right? But anyway, no, if that's you that's follow that's these right. rules, you don't have to worry about it. So don't be uh, asking questions. Right. <laughs> I think that was their okay. that was their main thing. Keep a few extra nickels in the collection plate, you'll be all right. <laughs> that's right. A few extra a few beaver extra pelts. pelts. Those are some of like the super Catholic things that you had to follow, and if if you follow those rules, you were pretty you're, you're safe. You're you're not okay. going to turn to a wolf and go around eating people. But then, you know, on the other hand, they were always venturing off into the wilderness, and that always has that fear of the unknown. So in in French Canada, so maybe there's a bunch of lugarus out there. That's kind of like who knows? I don't know what's out there. Wendigos, lugarus, who the hell? Like in Newfoundland. We had the uh, the concept of the fairies. So the yep. fairies are always just beyond the garden, right? Yep. And it's always, you know someone who knows someone. It's That's always the theme. In Quebec, amongst the, you know, the, the French people in Quebec, that just beyond civilization possibility yep. was a Lugaru. For the First Nations, that was the Wendigo. It's, it's just, it's the same story with a different, a different, different. manifestation. 
I guess not really to the fairies, but like the changeling part. Like you could be taken yeah. by the fairies and come back as a changeling. Or if you didn't go to church, you could be transformed into a werewolf. And if you were hungry, you could be turned into a Wendigo. Like it's always something, right? Yeah. Now, our common conceptions, like outside of French culture, our common conceptions of the werewolf are a human turns into a wolf at the full moon, right? That's yep. pretty standard. Um, then you go around all wolfy, and then when you wake up, you're not a wolf anymore, and you kind of don't remember what happened. That's amnesia is sort of there. You become very good at basketball. That was my very next point. Oh. You, be you become <laughs> very good at basketball. Another thing is you have awesome abs. <laughs> If you're in the Twilight movie. Did you know the basketball team on Teen Wolf were the Beavers? Yes, I do know that. That's yes. Nice. I wonder if that was a coincidence. <laughs> it's all looped together. So. There's, no, there's no way. No way. They must have known all about the, the Beavers and, and, the, and the Wolf. So that's our common conceptions, right? Basketball, yeah. full moon, stuff like that. But the Lou is slightly different. A lot of times, even though Lou really derives the word wolf, right, from that, but it didn't need to be a wolf. It could be a, any kind of an animal. So you might turn into a horse <laughs> okay, or a pig or anything. You know, you just, you turn into a, a non-human. But if it is a wolf, and that's the most common image, it has burning eyes and pointed ears that are similar to devil's horns. So you have that devil imagery and the, the Catholic devil yep. image. And it also, it doesn't, care about the full moon part like that's irrelevant to the french werewolf so instead of just turning on the full moon the person would transform at the stroke of midnight that's the marker and and then it stays that way till first daylight and that can go on for up to 101 days in a row the anti-cinderella it's anti <laughs> maybe if cinderella was a luguru she'd be like all kinds of uh, stories to keep straight and then of course, the werewolf can be killed by the silver bullet. That's a common thing. Yeah. But in, in French-Canadian folklore, the loup-garou, you, you don't want to kill it because if you kill the wolf or the loup-garou, whatever the animal is, you're also going to kill the Christian, the person. They, they say you'll kill okay, the Christian. Yeah. You don't want to kill him, but you want to cure them by something called uh, deliverance. Yeah, you want to deliver it. So what does that mean? That just means that... If you, you have to draw blood, it could be just like a little tiny pinprick. But once you draw the Lugaroo's blood, you've delivered it and it can be cured for being the Lugaroo. Now, that pretty much comes straight from the number one Catholic prayer, right? Deliver, yeah, us, from deliver us from evil. Yeah. If you if you even have a casual acquaintance with Catholicism, yeah. you you know that deliver us from evil. So it's kind of, you know, they don't really want to destroy the wolf. They want to they help you, yeah, deliver you. Yeah. Let's talk about like a, a, an example of a folktale that would involve the, the Lugaru. So the story structure is always like a lot of folktales and, and urban legends. It's always a friend of a friend, right? Yep. Or there's some other distancing technique, like it happened a long time ago or in a place far away. You know, this once upon a time that yep. it's, it's always that sort of a thing. Galaxy far, far away. A, a ultimate fairy tale right there mm -hmm. is Star Wars. Yep. Right. And there's usually like almost no females involved at all. It's set in the country up there is what they call it. Yep. So here's an example. So this folktale, which is uh, commonly told in in French uh, Canada, it takes place in an unnamed village in Quebec. It's a long and a long time ago. So in the village, I'm going to try with the names. So in this village, there's a mill and the mill is run by a man named Joachim. Joachim. Like Joaquin Phoenix, but yep. French. The milling business is booming, and the miller hires a stranger named Hubert, Hubert in English. So he hires this stranger that shows up, Hubert, uh, for help. And the two men become close, they're friends, and when all the milling work is done for the day, they, they sit around, they, they drink all night, and they, they hang out, they play checkers, they're good buddies. But Hubert would leave and disappear nightly. So Joaquin is like, well, it's kind of weird, but okay, whatever, you got a life, go do what you got to do. So shortly after the stranger kind of shows up, sheep in the neighboring farms, they start to show up being mauled uh, in the mornings. The The people of the village are telling stories that there's a lugaru on the loose, right? They're going after their sheep. So Joaquin thinks that these stories were kind of just stories and the sheep were probably attacked by a regular non-human wolf, just a regular old wolf. One night, the mill, something happens, something, something breaks in the mill. 
And the men start to work on it, but it starts getting dark and they decide we're just, we're going to hold off and wait till morning. And then suddenly Joaquin realizes that Hubert had disappeared. He's just like, oh, you were just helping with the mill. What the hell? You're gone. And then, holy shit, what's that? A giant black dog-like beast is here instead, right? <laughs> so Joaquin is startled by the appearance of this beast. So he calls out to his friend's name, Uber, and the beast reacts like like a dog would come to its name, right? Yep. The Lugaru attacks the miller, but the miller at the last moment, he's able to grab off the wall, a sickle, and he sli slices at the beast and cuts off his ear. The beast is scared. He runs off. And a few minutes later, Hubert appears like the friggin' pokeroo, but he's missing his ear. Oh. And this, these are common types of stories, right? So Joaquin, now when he sees this, he's like, uh, I'm finally adding this together. <laughs> it all, you know, it's all fitting in that Hubert um, is actually a lugaru. So when Hubert realizes that the gig is up, he flees and he, he goes to like parts unknown and it's never heard of again. So that would parts be unknown. it. Yeah, he's like that. That's why I got that story. That wrestler. With the, with the ultimate warrior. <laughs> Maybe the ultimate warrior is a lugaru. Mm. So that's, um, you know, that's a common type of thing. Like uh, yep. so they attack, there's a fight, some part gets cut off and then the person shows up with that same part gone and then that's yep. how they realize it's the Lugaru. In Quebec City in 1767, there's a story in the Quebec Gazette about a real possible Lugaru. Quebec City is the capital of Quebec. Um, yep. It's it's a walled city. It's the only walled city in Canada and the United States, I believe. There might be a walled city in... Is Mexico City walled? I'm not sure. I didn't know Quebec City was walled. You mean walled so that like keep out the invaders and stuff? Yes, it's what got That's ramparts right. around it. And yeah, it's a wall. I mean, probably since... Um, so it was walled back in the 1700s as a fortress, right? Brit British and, and English or British exactly. and French fights, yeah. British and French, exactly. Um, so I'm sure that the city has expanded beyond the walls, but I'm yep. like the old city, I guess, is still walled in. Um, there's, I've seen pictures of it. I've never been to Quebec City, but I've seen pictures oh, yeah. of it. It's quite beautiful right these beautiful... i've never been into the city like it's supposed to be very european and very different mm -hmm. and, and thing but i i driven through it and i stayed there in a hotel on the highway so i think uh, that's where they have the um chateau frontenac yes is there it yes. looks like a freaking yep. castle it's a haunted inn actually yeah but it looks like a, a castle and it's within these beautiful wall the walls of, of quebec city look like it's made from the same kind of rocks as cabot tower okay like it's that that same kind of aesthetic to it. It and it's it was walled since the early 1700s. So it's, you know, a few hundred years old wall. So in 1767, Quebec Gazette reported that a lugaru was sighted skulking around just outside the the walls of the city. So this is the same time frame as the Beast of Girardin in France, which was a couple years earlier, 1764, and the people were were worried that maybe this Quebec City beast is going to be just as bad as the uh, the beast of Girardin. They decide to be preemptive, and they and they decide that they're going to send out all their dogs to try to fight this <laughs> lugaru. By November, now remember, you only have to draw blood. That's how you cure the yep. lugaru, right? So they send out all their dogs. By November of that year, it was reported that the dogs finally drew the blood and delivered right the lugaru from its fate. So everyone was like, "Yay, the lugaru is gone." No one saw it. They, just, they led us not into temptation. <laughs> and delivered it from evil. But unfortunately, it did not do such a thing because it just pissed it off and it returned a couple of weeks later and was angrier than ever. Oh, really? So how come it didn't work? I, I don't know. So it's after there was no report of anyone being attacked or dying from or getting injured at all from the Lugaru. It was just the story was that it was sighted out there lurking about. And the story just kind of faded away. Like they didn't, there was no follow up to it. So uh, this was a time when it was just after like the Plains of Abraham. That's when Canada was, became a British colony. Yep. And France was left without Quebec anymore. With, with St. Pierre Miquelon. Exactly. That, that's all they were left with was St. Pierre Miquelon after the Plains of Abraham. So I wonder if in this case, the Lugaru outside the walls of Quebec City was more of a looming threat of who knows what out there yep. and not really a, a wolf or a werewolf. 
So what's what's the point of the Lugaru? To fuck shit up. Well, I think it's to it's to make people conform, like any other folktale or legend. It keeps the order in society and and makes people kind of be a little bit afraid in a healthy way of the unknown. Don't be wandering off into the woods. There might be a few Lugaroos yeah. on the go. Eat your um, vegetables and Mary Gallagher is going to get you. The same thing, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes, it's it's made up to exert control. So it would be very scary for the 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 voyageur, you know, if they went out there and and uh, they didn't follow these rites of Catholicism, and they were going out into the wilderness. You know, who knows what might happen? They might meet or become a werewolf. So it made them be, you know, really f- make sure that they were fully on blessed before they went out on their travels. And then when the voyageurs met and commingled their culture with the First Nations, it really created a unique Quebec folk culture. You know, with these stories of the Wendigo and the Lugaru sort of meld together. From that comes a very unique Quebec perspective uh, about the werewolf. And then the final thing to say about uh, the Lugaru was its legacy. In 1990, Canada Post <laughs> issued a stamp. Of the Lugaru. Yeah, always, right? It has a Lugaru postage stamp uh, in the Folklore and Legendary Creature series. It's a great red-eyed snarling beast, and it's set against a full moon, even though the moon thing wasn't really part of the Lugaru. The the lore, no. Yeah, but it's set against a full moon, and there's a very distinct outline of a church in the background. Other stamps in that series were the Kraken. That was from Newfoundland. Again, Quebec and Newfoundland have, they got the folklore in there. The Sasquatch. And the nice. uh, lake monster Ogopogo. Not Cressy. No, not Cressy. Cressy's not famous enough. Ogopogo is way more famous than yeah. Cressy. So there's only one more thing to play here. Like most things about canoes, portage is an Indian invention with a French name. From porte to carry to avoid rapids or worse. Yep. I watched uh, a National Film Board of Canada short documentary about Le Voyageur and the whole pack thing. Each pack was 90 pounds and they were required to carry at least two when they did portage. Oh, wow. And then, of course, a lot of them were having like, you know, dick measuring contests. So they would carry more than two, (laughs) you know, plus the fucking canoe was like 300 pounds. It sounds like a, a way of life I'm not interested in. No, for a bit of beaver. (laughs) <laughs> you gotta get earn that beaver yeah but that's yeah. it It, i mean it really it's it shaped the province of quebec it fed their folklore it there's so many canadian symbols that come out of it the maple yep. leaf the beaver the hudson's bay company all that shit comes from quebec that's our episode about quebec very unique province its language obviously right everyone knows they speak french in quebec but much 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 more than just a language that makes it unique and different their folklore is amazing and you know outside one of the only two provinces within canada that you can actually get a doctorate in folklore is right there in in quebec it's it really speaks to the culture there yeah for sure so, like I said, we hope you enjoyed the episode on Quebec. And if you did or if you didn't, please let us know. You can let us know on the Twitter machine at Some Weird Pod, or you can drop us a line via email at Some Weird Podcast at gmail.com. You can check out our brand new website at Some and share, like just, you know, whatever. Tell your friends, tell your family. Listen, ironically, yeah. if you don't like it, if you do like it, don't be afraid to give us a good review. It helps grow the show, apparently. And I don't know how to conclude it en français. So I'll just yeah. say, l'histoire du Québec. Say some weird bye. Certain bizarre. Tabernacle.